Nebraska Public Media Sports brings you Nebraska baseball. Catch our live coverage as the Huskers meet the Indiana Hoosiers on the Diamond at Hawksfield at Haymarket Park in Lincoln. Watch Friday, May 10th at 6 p.m. Central on Nebraska Public Media. You're listening to Hurt at Sports Radio. Here is Husker 24-7 senior writer, Brian Christofferson. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a little bit of a circus act. Brian Christofferson. Well, I mean, that's that's pretty interesting. Brian Christofferson. <laughs> I, I kind of enjoy that. Here is Brian Christofferson. Welcome into our number three here on Hurt Out Sports Radio on AM590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities, and for this third hour, KFOR in Lincoln. Joining us now on the War Horse Sportsbook Hotline is our friend Brian Christofferson from Husker 24-7. BC, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good, man. Thanks for joining us. Always good to be here. Brian, we were having this discussion about Nebraska basketball right before you got on the air uh, in regards to their NCAA tournament resume. If I could give you a guarantee that Nebraska wins out their home games, including Wisconsin tomorrow, or they win at Illinois, but I guarantee you nothing else in terms of wins and losses, which one are you taking? (laughs) That's good. That's a good uh, question. Um, I'd take Illinois and take my chance. Oh, no, I, I, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Why not? Do it. Be that guy. That's who I am. I think it's really close. I do think it's really close. Uh, think think you about know the quality gonna, of gonna, that win. Yep. You're. Uh, yep. I'm gonna go with my original answer. Man, that's a good question, though. Um, there's no guarantee with it, huh? So, anything can happen at home. But I like Nebraska to handle their business at home in the other games. I really do. I think um, that's a tall thing to say too, because. Um, we shouldn't just take it for granted that Nebraska is going to win all but like one of their games at PBA. But nonetheless, I would take the Illinois one. That would count as a quad one win. Mm-hmm. Um, so there would be as much to it. Um, the guarantee part uh, that you don't have is where the question gets tricky. But I've always said I love Nebraska's slate the last seven games after you get past the Northwestern game, starting with that Michigan one on February 10th where you play Michigan twice. You play Minnesota at home. You play Rutgers at home. I believe they play Penn State at home. Um, Ohio State and Indiana on the road. Those are the final seven. I truly believe this team, if they play their best ball, can go at least five and two, six and one in that stretch. I I believe that. Um, But I've always worried about this stretch in the schedule and basically being five and eight going into it. And some people kind of didn't want to hear that like a week or so ago, but now there's a reality to it. Like, okay, you've got to win one of these Wisconsin or Illinois games, or you're going to Northwestern five and seven and you're staring that in the face. So I take the Illinois one, take my chances, see what happens, see if they can't also get another one on the road at like Ohio state or Indiana. Um, and then, um, hold court against uh, those other teams at home that aren't having as good a years. BC, okay, let me let me throw one more fun one at you, um, because I, that I was, was fun, by the way. 
I was looking at uh, national championship odds in the break because I've been following along with two teams right now, one being Creighton, one being Texas, and I like seeing the fluctuation between uh, mm-hmm. where their odds are going. And then I thought about Nebraska for a hot sec because we were talking about what seed they would be if the tournament started now, and it's either a 10 or an 11. And we talked to John Fanta maybe about a, a couple of weeks ago, and he had said, like, I think it was Fanta. Maybe it was some other college basketball analyst that said, you know, this is the sleeper team. Like, this is like the Dayton of the world or, or like that, that not as good in their conference team that could be the team that makes a deep run in the, uh, in the tournament. I mean, SDSU did something similar last season. But if you could take one player in college basketball off of any team, you can pluck them. Oh. You put them on Nebraska, Okay. <laughs> And that, that's the guy that helps lead this team to a national championship. Is there one player in basketball today that you could do that? Because as I'm thinking about it, I'm mm. like, man, I don't know if there's a Kemba Walker, right? I don't know if there's somebody that, like, hey, Nebraska could really use a, 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 a strong point guard, a creator, but also a, a scorer for himself. And I don't know if there is that in basketball today, but maybe you have – you know, somebody you could add to this team and just instantly you, know they're they're a title contender. I try not to pretend about stuff I'm not as knowledgeable as others on. No, I do actually. I do pretend that sometimes, <laughs> but I'm not going. To, I'm not going to this time. Um, I'm in my Nebraska Big Ten bubble with so much of like what's out there with college basketball. I really am. Um, so I don't know what I would answer to that. Um, whoever you would regard as the top point guard pick that you could make that would be my pick um and i don't know who that guy is for which roster he represents but that would be my pick for this particular team i think you saw you know on on the road um against maryland where you have 18 turnovers you know 17 made shots just a disaster of a day and there's these moments where it feels like they do come a little bit undone and it's not solely because of this but it's a segment of it because they don't have that like guiding hand like even like you know i always think about like what if chucky hepburn were at nebraska Mm -hmm. you know on this particular team like i think he could just fit so well and do like kind of fit the like last piece that they need and so about guys i think about like right in front of my face i think of uh chucky i think of like some of those tough dogs that houston's got down there lj crier yep yeah terrence shannon jr at illinois Yeah, you know, so guys like that. Um, so um, I think point guard uh, more than anything. Now, Nebraska has their own way of doing it, and they've got some guy, they've got multiple guys that can handle the ball and start the offense. But you know what I mean? It's that it's that general who you just feel like you're in complete control when he's got the rock in his hands. And sometimes when things are getting a little, um, you're you're slipping on the ice a bit. I just don't know who that is, especially on the road for Nebraska. And I, I think it's hurt him. We're talking with Brian Christopherson at Husker 24-7. Uh, BC, so let me, let me paint a profile for you and see if we're on the same page here. So you would like a, a point guard. I'm, when I was thinking of it, I was thinking maybe a bigger-bodied point guard, maybe somebody that's like yes. 6'3"-ish, so defensively they're not a, a liability. Um, obviously you want somebody that shoots the three decently. Um, is that kind of the profile you're looking at as, as a uh, – as the the guy that could maybe put Nebraska over the yeah. top, yeah, he's got it. It has to be a physical guy who, and this is talking about the, what this team's got to do right now. Um, 
that that's got to be willing to attack the glass and it's got to be all five on the floor going after the glass mm. uh, for this group like there's been games i think when the rebounding's gotten out of hand when we could look at like rink mast or whomever down you know one of the bigger guys and kind of point a finger at them but there's also guards who aren't um i don't think sometimes in those contests doing their duties of, of cleaning up you know when when the big guys fighting to give them space to go get the ball and um, so it's got to be somebody willing to do that. And obviously that's not happening. You're not making that trade or anything like that at this point in the season. So the big question is, can can they get that type of stuff from Jamarcus Lawrence down the stretch? You know, uh, when is Jawan Gary coming back? You know, um, is huge, like your junkyard dog. Um, you know, it's, there's, there's multiple things right now that are sort of uh, in the wind where we, we got to see what happens. But um, it's got to be a full commitment on the glass because, as Hoiberg said, he's used this word multiple times a season. They've been punked on the road on, and rebounding a few times. And um, the Rutgers game was kind of embarrassing when they get 25 offensive boards. And then uh, Maryland, what I thought was one of those games that you, you just walk out with your head down because it's – it wasn't just that, you know, Nebraska's offense was a funk. They were just giving up easy stuff on the offensive glass. Everything was wrong about that game. So they've had some time to lick their wounds. They're, they've been a different animal at PBA. They feed off the crowd. The crowd feeds off them. They've got to come out, much like they did at Purdue. And I remember in that game, I wasn't expecting anything when I went to the gym that night. <laughs> but in the first two to three minutes, I saw like stuff like happening, like guys on the floor, and you could just say, okay, they're here to fight. I don't know how it's going to you know the scale's going to tip here but they're going to be in this game because you know they're going to have that sort of intensity and they need to come out and show this crowd they've got that right away and this crowd will back them up and i think they'll play off each other and we'll have a good game so that's the hope for thursday bc real quick here i think the name is right in front of us i think it might be boo booey oh boo booey oh yeah I think, good player. That, I think that maybe, I mean, maybe not national title but i think he would he kind of fits that mold of a guy that takes you to that next level I think Fred Hoiber would say would say that too. The way he talks about Boo Booey, who they you know they got the best of Boo Booey recently, but he you get a, he's coming around to the corner again here in a couple of weeks, so that could be a tricky one. <laughs> all right, BC, let's come back to. Yeah, I really got to be now. careful on what I say about that. So <laughs> that's how I feel all the time too. Even... <laughs> so uh, yesterday we spent some time looking at true freshman quarterbacks over the last 10 years okay yeah. and um looking at the numbers that they put up and then we we talked a little bit about expectation versus reality and i'm not going to ask you to to touch on dylan Rayola here i want you to touch on glenn thomas for a moment for me because he was on the husker radio network last night and you know as we think about the expectations for Dylan Rayola, of course, that they're they're very high. But in terms of Glenn Thomas's role in making those expectations become reality, what do you think? Um, like, or what did you kind of like learn about how he conducts his business just in his short interview last night? I guess probably the biggest takeaway was, if if I would summarize it correctly, was. Uh, listening more, talking less the first couple weeks on the job, like what his players getting the feedback from them about where they're at, what has worked for them, what they've learned, what they knew last year in the case of, you know, uh, Dylan and Danny are talking about their high school experience, but like basically what is your floor right now? Like where, where are you at? And then we'll take steps from there. 
Um, but I think that's a, a, a wise process and it's, it's someone who, you know, I know you guys have been thinking it could be Glenn Thomas for a month or so. So this isn't like a big shock that he's, he's here now, but the thing I like about him, um, is, and I, I don't know if everybody knew this, but this came out last night too. Um, I knew this, but you know, he's known Satterfield for 20 plus years. And, uh, so this isn't like, if some people are thinking like, oh, this is awkward, co-OC, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> How's that going to work? You know, I don't think it really is for them. Um, I think they have a tight-knit relationship. Uh, they know how each other works. They respect each other's knowledge of ball, and they're, they're ready to put it together. And I've made the case, and I will continue, that this is good for Satterfield. Um, you know, it takes it evens the weight out of how we talk about like what happens over there. Like last year when things went wrong, it was always like, all right, get your, uh, your bow and arrow out and everybody aim at this guy who's <laughs> coaching the QBs and look, look how bad that offense is. And I understand some of that that goes with the territory. I also was at times thinking like he doesn't have much at QB His running back and receiver room is decimated. Good luck. You know, I was thinking like in Liam Neeson when it's like the good luck. That's what it was to whoever was in that role last year. And so um, I like now that it's a little more spread out, like how we're going, even how we're going to talk about like what we see on offense. We'll talk. It's not just going to be ah Satterfield, you know, like Adam, like a punching bag. And he gets to work with the tight ends and that uh, Satterfield and he want they want this to be a positionless offense. There's no position that is more uh, adaptable to doing everything than that one. And so it should be a natural fit there. So I just like how Glenn Thomas fits into the puzzle. They know each other and they can I think can take off at a good clip pretty fast about what each other knows and how they operate at least. BC, it's kind of funny because, you know, the more I think about this, the more I kind of realize it, it feels like Marcus Satterfield is is sort of in a at, will get absolutely no credit situation here, right? Because we look at the situation that was there last year with the quarterbacks and the offense and everything, and it's it's one of those things where, you know, he was kind of the scapegoat even though we, we know what the quarterback situation was like. Now, obviously, you have an upgrade at the quarterback position with Dylan Rayola. You also have Glenn Thomas coming in. So, yeah, Dylan Rayola is going to get a lot of that credit, but the offense look if the offense looks great, Marcus Satterfield's not getting any credit. And if it looks bad, he could still get blamed for it and be like, oh, we, can, we need Glenn yeah. Thomas calling plays. Like He's sort of in a no credit or no win situation here. Uh, there could be a little of that. Now, the, the nice part for him, though, is he's connected um, in job title now to the tight ends, which I think is one of the most fun groups on the roster with like, who's coming in and Fair. like. You know, maybe if he, if Fedoni takes a step and then you're like, oh, Carter Nelson's out there in game three already doing stuff, which I think he might, by the way. I, I, I hate to, like, hype someone up too fast, but that's what we oh, wait, do like to wait, do about wait, this time of year. We like to hype people up really fast? Yeah, let's do it, though. Um, <laughs> you want to hear my numbers for Dylan Rowe this year? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but Carter Nelson, I watching him even in those All Star games. People are like, "Oh, I don't know how he's gonna do against these four stars," you know, covering them and all this stuff. He, it's from the, what I was told, he was getting open as he wanted to get open uh, down at the uh, Polynesian Bowl, even prior to the game. So I, I think he's got a lot of skills to work with. But um, I think for Satterfield, he's got not just Carter, but Fedoni. 
you know, Keelan Smith is a hybrid tight end. He's got these interesting pieces where that could help to your question, Ravi, where maybe a couple of those guys really take off and, and we get a little distracted by that. And, and if, if they're doing well on offense, you're right. It might go to more of the other guy, uh, the credit, but, um, it's better than, uh, probably it was last year when you're just getting, uh, hit with a hammer every week about how things went. BC, Glenn Thomas, um, you know, going back to how he views the two true freshmen in the room, or, I mean, we can even pull Heinrich Harburg into this mix. He likes the intangibles of the quarterbacks, how, um, like, those things will stand out early to him when he sees them in action. What do you think each guy's top intangible is that will help the engine go in their early development stages for the true freshmen and then what you've seen out of Heinrich Harburg last season? Okay. Intangible. Um, well, I mean, with Danny Kalen, I could start really fast. I think it's um, there's a, a connectivity that it, that matters off the field that I, that I think can translate to, you know, what he's throwing with his receivers. Just like he's just beloved by people once they get to know him. And he, he's a guy that people want to work hard with. And um, you saw it with how he was as a peer recruiter. And I really think that's a trait that can translate where guys are like, I know how much he cares. I, I'm going to care as much as he does and work with this guy uh, to get him better and myself better. I think that's an, an, a, a big trait of Danny Kalen that could help him. Um, I think Dylan might have that. I don't know as much about him because he wasn't as local. and mm-hmm. we. It, uh, that sounds weird to say because of how high profile he was, but I actually – I. I'm in, interested in like Dylan in the interview setting here and getting to know him more in that sort of way. Um, with Dylan, um, I mean, I think there's just an expectation that what helps him probably is knowing how to work and like what it what it takes as far as to be at the top level. Like not just because his dad played in the NFL, but when when he first came up here for Friday Night Lights as a 15 year old. His quarterback's coach at the time down in Texas was uh, John Kitna, who played or his head coach uh, who played, you know, in the NFL. And he's just been around guys like Matthew Stafford and other, you know, people um, that that, you know, know the game. So I, I think that's probably helped him. Like, this is how I have to operate to be really great. This is what it takes, like not just, you know. Uh, working out, but like, what's my depth on my throws, all this stuff. When I was interviewing Jamal Banks, the wide receiver who transferred from Wake a couple weeks ago, he was really impressed with Dylan and just like how like in the details of being a quarterback he was, even in their little throwing session, like the depth he got and all these little things we don't even think about. So I think that's going to matter for him. Um, and then Harburg, I guess you just say um, – you know, nobody's going to um, – I really believe this about Heinrich. Um, I think he's a quick processor um, of, like, stuff. And he it didn't show in the passing game last year, but I think he's got a brain where if he connects with the coach right, um, he could take a step in the passing game. I, I haven't given up on what he can do. I'm not saying he's going to beat out the other guys or just all of a sudden be amazing. But I think we can see a way better version of him throwing the ball than we saw. And and you say, well, why would you say he's a quick processor? I'd say that because 
nobody actually that I've covered has impressed me more like right after the game and how they can t- they can speak about what just happened in sort of an hmm. even manner and stuff than Heinrich Harburg last season. And I, I actually thought about that after one of the rough games he had, but he just had an ability, like if you actually think about how hard that is to go in there and say more than like seven words <laughs> or just spout out some cliche, and he would have thoughtful comments actually in the post game about stuff. And I just thought this guy's sharp. Like he's got, he's got it up there. It's just, a, you know, it's the, he's got to find that right coach who like gets him to another level with some of the intricacies of being a quarterback. But I think he's got material where it can work. And so that's what I'd say about him. I, I think he has the ability to show a much quicker blinker than we saw a season ago. BC, a uh, few minutes left here with you. I wanted to ask you about the uh, roster update that got released um, yesterday. Any surprises there? I know it was a lot of um, walk-ons that were kind of maybe no longer listed on the roster, uh, maybe some guys that were on a different side of the ball than that we had seen them on previously. Anything there that stuck out to you that's worth noting? Uh, we can run through it. You know, some of the bullets points would be um, like Kane Williams was a guy I think people had hoped for at one point. He's not on there anymore. He was that from Alabama mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And, and, you know, that goes to show you, though, and this isn't uh, specific to Kane. It, just because a guy came from Alabama or Georgia or whatever, we get pretty fired up sometimes. A lot of things still have to go right, you know, for that, especially if they haven't produced yet at that previous school. Uh, so I think it'll, it's kind of that lesson, like, don't jump to a conclusion necessarily just because this guy, you know, played at this particular school. Like, oh, he must be great. Um, you know, beyond that, an interesting thing is um, Jeremiah Charles and Bryce Turner, um, not surprising to me because they were working at DBs at times last year and even on the travel roster. But that's where they're at right now uh, mm-hmm. by label. But there's been a tug of war with. Uh, in a good-natured way with McGuire and Evan Cooper over are they a wide receiver, are they a DB. So watch that one in the spring, like Charles and Turner. Do they stick at DB? And then lastly, Ethan Piper, I think, is worth um, you know speaking about. like Just a great kid who, if this is the end and he's not on the roster at this moment, it was a serious injury he suffered. Um, that's a guy who gave his all to the program, and I would imagine they'd maybe want him around somehow some way if he wants to be around you know because he's just that kind of guy that that people gravitate towards so he has nothing to be ashamed of with what he's done as a husker um you know and and was recognized as so with some team awards but uh it it's too bad that it might be the end of the career with that injury the way it happened bc got about a minute 20 left and you know there there's one thing that i i kind of wanted to get to but i may hold off for it for the next time we talk because I, I think the answer is going to be a little bit more long form but in terms of uh, I'll, I'll give you the last 30 seconds for this what do you expect against Wisconsin tomorrow night I think they're going to come out and punch Nebraska and, and make it a, a real battle to the end um, I guess I'd probably actually pick Wisconsin a little bit in this game because I just think Wisconsin right now almost looks like they're a lead eight final four type of team I think they've They've got so many different pieces, and they just got to do a, a better job first and foremost on on Chucky. There's all these dif- different weapons, but in the game in Madison, it was 88-72, and 
and Hepburn just played exactly as he wanted to play. It was his type of game at his tempo. They've got to get him out of rhythm and cause some chaos, get on the floor early, get the crowd going, see what happens. Brian, my dark horse, man. That's I, right. don't, I don't know if, if Ravi remembers, but we had Mike Sauter on before the season started, and I said Wisconsin's going to be a dark horse, and Mike Sauter looked at me very funny. They've got like two or three guys that have come on since the season began that are just like way better than you thought they would be, too. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're a dangerous team. That's BC, Brian Christopherson, Husker 24-7. BC, we appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, thanks, guys. See you, man. Coming up next, Anna Bellinghausen from Murdoch Sports here on Murdoch Sports Radio.